begin. The internet, a doorway to the world's most fascinating and terrifying communities. To explore it is to interrogate that which makes us human. Only some are brave enough to venture into these other worlds. Only some are brave enough to be called. The Internet Explorers. Hello and welcome back to Anderson Brothers, The Internet Explorers. I am your host, Evan Axel Anderson. And I'm your host, David Ryan Anderson. Oh, and David, who's that over there? It's another brother. Who's that lady? <laughs> Who, that's me in the corner. There we go. That's me as a brother sitting with the Andersons. I bet you didn't expect so much musical to be added to your podcast. There's a reason for that. Because today my wife is going to be joining us. This is my wife, Katie Anderson who is going to be our guest today, but we love her so much that she's going to be with us the whole episode, not just the interview segment. That's right. So last week we talked about 3D print last, I always say last nope, week. Nope, yeah. Last week, last, last episode. year. Yeah, because it is last January 1st. <laughs> last year we talked about 3D printed guns and I feel like I probably came across like kind of a gun guy. I'm not a gun, I'm not a gun guy though. Evan, you know what kind of guy I am? David's a... Uh... A wife guy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> David. David, I have Jack leading the witness. <laughs> yeah, David was like like frantically <laughs> gesturing with his head towards Katie. I'm a wife guy. This is my wife, Katie. We love her so much. Katie, we're so happy to have you with us. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for including me. Of course, Katie. Katie's a, a real guest, everybody, though. You know, we're not just bringing our family on just to hang. <laughs> Katie's got actual knowledge about a really interesting topic that we'd like to explore on this episode. I saw on on Instagram the other day, there's a, it's like a little plaque or something that really spoke to me. And it says, a girlfriend is a sister that you choose. And I assume that it's referring to like, like, oh, I'm hanging out with my girlfriends, you know, not like I'm dating a girlfriend. Yeah, your sister. <laughs> but I'm very concerned for a moment. <laughs> But I would like to say that a wife is a brother you choose. <laughs> an Anderson David. brother. Yeah. So today, Katie is going to be an honorary Anderson bro. I am delighted to be a part of the club. I'm really excited. So Katie and I, one of the things that I love about my wife, Katie Anderson, she's always teaching me really fascinating new things, especially about uh, early childhood development and just sort of human psychology. And we thought it would be a great idea to invite her onto the show because she has a lot of thoughts and uh, information about the development of the human brain in childhood as it relates to uh, internet use and screen time and a lot of things that really overlap with our show. That so. was a very good segue, David. I was concerned that you're proving to everybody you're a wife guy. I'm I am like, a wife you, guy. We believe you, David. You don't have to prove it. <laughs> so I thought she'd be perfect, the perfect person to have on and just a great excuse to, to hang out with her for an episode. It's a great excuse. Yes, Love yes. It. I am proving my knowledge by all the money I pay to the Erickson Institute <laughs> yeah. for my fine education. Yes. Yeah, Katie, Katie knows more about her topic today than David and I have ever known about anything we've ever <laughs> I don't know about that, but I do know a lot about early childhood education and um, early childhood development. And so the social emotional processes, especially, that's where I really uh, shine, I think, is mm -hmm. the psychological and emotional processes that create human responses. And that's what we are going to be talking about today. So we will 
join up with you guys right after the jump and uh, get into the interview proper. Anderson Bros. Anderson Bros. Whatever Anderson Bros. does. Can they swing from the web? Yes, they can. If it's Interweb. That's right. Look out. It's Anderson Bros. We ran out of money for licensing sauce. <laughs> Katie, you got a real long CV uh, here. Uh, you Katie, are- Yeah, Katie printed out her professional resume. It's five pages. <laughs> no, it's worse. Buckle up, guys. We're going to read it all. Katie, Only five bullet points on it. <laughs> Katie is currently obtaining her master's in early childhood education at the Erickson Institute. That is right. I am obtaining my master's in early childhood education, which is a lot of coursework already. And on top of that, I added my LBS1, which is a learning behavior specialist, which would qualify me to work with students in the special education program and provide supports either inside my own classroom or to specialize in that and just pull students out to work in a special education diverse learners program. I also have a lot of coursework before that because I have my early childhood education teaching certificate. So I have a lot of credit hours also in child development and guidance approach and all sorts of different classes and techniques, assessment, observation. So I have a lot of prior coursework even before I started my master's program. You have your own podcast, uh, the Compassionate Caregiver podcast. You talk about caring for kids. You have uh, been a frequent guest on other child care and education podcasts. You have five years in early childhood education as an educator and are currently working in middle childhood. And you're the co-founder of your own company, Compassionate Child Care. Yes. So many of the endeavors that I undertake are about supporting parents and caregivers and educators, um, whether that means you're a nanny or a grandparent who is suddenly caring for their children's children even though they had already raised theirs, so much has changed because of brain science Mm -hmm. and the technology that we now have to have brain scans and access different information. We are learning so much that has added validity to the field of early childhood education and what people have been doing and saying for many decades, but we had no evidence of before. It was Mm -hmm. just observational. Now we have actual hard data to support that. It's awesome. Yeah. It is awesome. I, Thank you, Evan. Hooray <laughs> science. We all love it. It is. I So I feel like we've been having kind of an ongoing conversation, you and I, because we've been talking about having kids and how we would want to raise our kids, especially in the 21st century, just completely uh, surrounded by you know technology, media, all kinds of nonsense, internet. There's like so many weird things to take into account. And like, how do you raise a kid in that environment? And you've brought to my attention a lot of things that even even having this podcast I don't feel I was fully appreciative of um in terms of like like the ways that that all these things can affect a kid growing up Mm -hmm. I feel like a big thing for us is our our feeling that like we don't want our a kid to be really like engaging with screens a lot at all yes especially in early childhood it has a more pronounced effect because the younger you are, the less time that is recommended for screen time. Part of that is because when you are under two, they actually recommend no screen time at all, which is virtually unheard of and does not happen in our society because we have phones as parents and children are meant to adopt and model and follow along with what they see adults doing. Their job is to learn how to be an adult. And 
what you do for better or for worse can and will be used against you. (laughs) So when you are parenting, your child is copying these behaviors and they're creating a script uh, as what we call them in the early childhood world for behavior patterns and what they're supposed to do to be an adult. Like you can't see, but I put it in air quotes so that you get the listener's effect to be an adult. Uh, what that means. So a child is looking to you as the adult, whether you're the uncle or the parent or the grandparent or the educator, and they're saying, okay, this is what adults do. And they even find that in relationships of child rearing, how you speak to your co-parent is more effective than how you speak to the child. So if Mm -hmm. you are rude to your co-parent, but very polite to the child, the child will pick up on that and speak in more, quote, rude tones because they're watching how adults interact. They're trying to emulate that behavior, not necessarily how you treat the child, which is very dangerous with screens because we are on them all the time. So the request of by, you know, by the age of two, no screen time. It's not just for the kid. It's also for you parents around yes. this child. You know, yes. Make sure that you're out, not on your screens or else. Yes. Moment. And that's a, such an interesting thing to pick up on, Evan. And it's very scary to think about as an adult who's considering having a child yeah. and also going to grad school because so many classes require your internet usage. And internet usage is a blind part of our community life now that we just naturally participate in. So to be very mindful of us on screens, that's something David and I have talked about. Like if we have kids, I don't even want us on our phones all the time because that interrupts the child's emotional development because you're lacking eye contact. You're lacking, there's less social interaction from child to parent. And they find with technology, the higher the use of technology, the less one-on-one face-to-face sibling interactions the children are having. And sibling relationships Mm -hmm are a lab for conflict and how to solve it. And okay, the relationship doesn't end when I get mad at you. So what does that mean? How do I change my behavior? What needs to happen? So conflict resolution really happens there. And if you're removing opportunity for it because you're isolating from people who are next to you to immerse yourself in a world of people who are not, how does that affect your social development? Yeah, that's one of the strange things I feel about the internet the more I pay attention to it is there's a sort of atomization that happens um, where everybody is sort of isolated, despite the fact there is a community element. The, you know, the internet's a place where everybody can come together. Mm-hmm. In a weird way, you're atomizing yourself, which is something I feel, you know, I, I, I sort of feel like that is like the marketplace at work. Mm-hmm. I feel like there is no society on the individuals <laughs> kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are yeah. your group by the individual. And I feel like the more the society atomizes people, takes them out of like something like a community, yeah. the more you become dependent on on this like sort of marketplace to come together to to meet your needs, which is at that point, like that marketplace is not trying to meet your needs the way that maybe like 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 friends or family or a religious group or something mm-hmm. would try to meet your needs, which is much more selflessly. It will try to meet your na- needs in a way that is exploitative or... You know, where, where they can get something from you, yeah. you you know, I mean, that this is sort of the same thing. Like if you have a community that can like help you pay medical bills, that is no good to the marketplace, which would rather you pay your medical bills through taking out debt or something like that. Mm-hmm. The Internet is is operating the same way where it's like, come meet your communal needs with us instead of the people in your immediate physical vicinity. Mm-hmm. 
because then you will be giving us views. You'll be giving us uh, likes. Uh, yeah, yeah. You'll yeah. You'll be giving us the internet points, social points, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Views, likes. Um, you'll be somehow promoting us or, or uh, giving us power uh, in the eyes of the algorithm, which will then promote us more. Things like that. I feel like the internet, whether anybody will consciously say this or or mean to, the goal of the internet is really to separate you from from the community that that is beyond it like like yeah. the community in your house or on your in your neighborhood mm-hmm. or whatever it is and that's a really weird element of the internet that i feel like people don't talk about too much <laughs> but yeah. it's interesting that you say that too because they have found in studies that the internet decreases social loneliness but increases emotional loneliness Ooh, in what does that mean So like socially, you're very exposed to other people, perhaps more so, um, which can be beneficial because children are not feeling neglected by their peers as much or it creates a buffer where they feel safer or they have something to like live for or community to be a part of. So that buffers them from some negative social emotional effects. But emotionally, think about your Facebook, right, or your any kind of social media that you consume. A lot of times you are inundated with social information, you are connected and talking to people that you maybe don't talk to in your normal life, but how much of you are you actually sharing? Are you being vulnerable? Are you talking about your fears? Are you Mm. actually engaging with another person that makes you feel connected and close? Or is it just noise? I mean, honestly, this feels like returning to the issue of like NFTs, which is the internet as something that is kind of offering you something that is empty. It mm-hmm. is something that is non-existent. Like mm-hmm. with the NFT, right? It's a object that you can sell and buy for thousands of dollars, but it essentially is nothing, right? Mm-hmm. This idea of like, essentially it's just, you know, sand in your mouth kind of stuff. It, it, it empty is, calories. It's empty calories, yeah. And it feels a little bit like that where we're talking about this idea of, yes, the internet can boost a certain kind of community, but as we really look at it in mm-hmm. depth, it really lacks the things that community actually nourishes mm-hmm. and is supposed to provide people. Yeah. Uh, it fails to do those things. Yeah. And our, our new way of intaking information, we are we, thousands and thousands of years. Humans have been built to appreciate connection with people who are right around us, the yeah. physical people in our proximity. And to change that, our brain's, have not yet adapted or they are currently adapting. So we don't have longitudinal research on like what is happening to human brains. And we're we're sort of learning that now as development is happening with children who are growing up with the internet. What does that mean? Because our generation, we did not have, we had Sesame Street or we had the television, but we didn't have smartphones or really when I was a kid, we dialed the internet up with our dial up internet. And if someone was on the phone, you couldn't be on the internet. So it was more of a limited, not resource, but you didn't have all the time in the world to be on the internet. And I think in many ways that is good. That um, boundary that we don't really have anymore. It's very accessible all the time, which is positive in some ways and negative in some ways. You've talked to me about the fact that in early childhood, a lot of access to uh, screens or devices or, or Internet or whatever with young kids that will create a need for occupational therapy. Can you talk about it? Am I even saying that right? Yes, Is that you right? are. You yeah. are saying that right. We So we have noticed what I would call a correlation. I don't think they've proved it as a causation sure, yet, sure. but that is what a lot of early childhood 
educators and specialists suspect is that all of this screen usage, now your child is sitting down playing on your phone, which in many ways is more relaxing for the adult. But children are not designed to do that, especially at young ages. They're designed to be climbing, making a mess, banging the pots and pans because their brain is of taking sensory information that helps them to understand the world. So the really annoying thing that your child does, which is like pour out their water cup or throw their peas on the floor, they're learning about, okay, gravity, or they're learning about the fluidity of water. And they're going to do it over and over and over again until their brain says, I think I understand this information. So if it's that they repeatedly stand and flush the toilet, which is something that toddlers are fascinated with, Mm -hmm. but is kind of gross as an adult. You don't want your kid right up in the toilet, like watching it flush. They're learning about the world. And we're removing that opportunity from them for our own adult comfort to have them seated and still. But they need to be up and moving to explore, to be able to input sensory information into their brain Mm -hmm. that helps them make sense of the world and process the information. And they need to develop core tone. So low core is um, something that occupational therapists help to treat. It is think of your core muscles and it so much of your ability to focus and regulate your behavior comes from your core muscles. Mm. So if you have a low core tone, you have inattentiveness, you have inability to sit still, you struggle to pay attention, Mm. um, you might lack other skills and resources, and you just cannot emotionally regulate in the same way because your body feels chaotic inside. And low core tone is a pretty significant issue we're seeing in early childhood which is very surprising because it hasn't been something that has been widely noticed before. We're wondering with this increase in ADHD, part of it is, do we have more things that qualify to diagnose it? Or is something happening that is creating more cases of ADHD? Is it either something that's people are being exposed to? Is it something that the children are experiencing because they lack core tone? So a lot of this is something that We're still figuring out, but a lot of early childhood educators suspect it's the increased screen usage creates less time for jumping, climbing trees, swinging, exploring outdoors, pouring shaving cream all over the bathroom to your parents' horror, the baby powder all over the house. Like you're losing these opportunities to develop and to jump in puddles and to, you know, all these really important formative experiences. Katie and I talk a lot about the idea, like this, the difference between, um, Oh my goodness. I'm forgetting the term escapism versus. So you put, you put on like a YouTube video for a kid or something. Like if they're feeling uh, upset or sad or anything like that, you put this on, it will not help them deal with the emotions. Sensory regulation versus. Versus escapism or something. Like trying to escape a situation through digital means versus actually dealing with your feelings Mm -hmm. that you're feeling. Learning to self-regulate. Yeah. And learning how to actually process those things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is that called? So, <laughs> um, so I would say what you're talking about is self-regulation and self-regulation skills versus just putting pause on this kind of emotional input. Sensory processing wise, your sensory brain, it's very hard for your emotional brain to be engaged while your sensory brain is engaged. So we create like calm down corners or calm down boxes in early childhood education helps a child learn to self-regulate their emotions. Mm -hmm. And 
until the child can self-regulate because they do not come out of the womb being able to do that, we co-regulate them. So we go together. We say, oh, you seem like you're feeling really sad. Let's go to the calm down box and let's take out the bubble timer. Let's take out the squishy ball. And so you're giving them a chance to engage their sensory brain to calm down because once you are calm, you can guide them through a situation. Mm -hmm. But until you are calm, your frontal lobe is completely offline. That's the part of your brain that makes decisions. So logical, rational decisions can plan out steps. It is a part of our brain that makes us humans, really. Mm -hmm. And it will not come online if our what we call the reptile brain, the fight, flight, freezer, fawn is online Mm -hmm. because that is life saving. And if you're in a panic mode as a child, you won't have an ability to calm down, to really think about what you have done or what you need to do next time or why that wasn't safe. Mm -hmm. So instead of putting on a show to just delete that experience, you're trying to teach a child how to calm down without the use of electronics Mm -hmm. um, so that they can have a better chance of regulating in any environment as opposed to only one in front of a TV. And if you're escaping, you're not dealing with the emotional problems. You're not dealing with the solutions. You're just saying, let's forget about that. But if you're teaching a child to regulate through sensory processing um, and sensory information, you're allowing the child to first move through the feelings, learn what it feels like to calm down. And then you're still with the child and you are guiding them through the process of why it's not safe to stick a stick in front of your brother's bike or why that might have hurt the cat when you pulled its tail and what you could do differently next time. So that's sort of what I think you're getting at the process totally. between okay, escaping versus regulating and guiding. Right. Yeah. One one is like creating an, a, like a learning experience that will hopefully be useful through into yeah. adulthood because the Internet also allows you to keep. Doing that, that escapism, yeah. whatever. I mean, Forever. Yeah, yeah, you have things like like auto scrolling or whatever. You're, uh, I, I guess we don't refresh web pages anymore. But this idea they of like refresh themselves. Yeah, <laughs> like like constantly returning for that that dopamine hit of oh man, here I got a I got a like or I got a interaction. I'm talking about likes this episode, I guess. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I hate likes. <laughs> no, it's like a social media yeah. part of social media. This yeah. idea of you know creating this. I don't know if we talked about Skinner boxes on the show before this idea of like a, a test done with rats, where if you keep the rat in a state of sort of anxiety because they don't know if they're going to get the treat or not, mm-hmm. then you they will never leave. They cannot like allow themselves to disconnect from like staying at the box waiting for the treat. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what what video games at this point have become. Mm-hmm. That's what social media has become. And I don't mean that's my interpretation. I'm saying that is literally the model that is used to develop these things. That's yeah. so interesting because yeah. in early childhood, we talk about attachment theory, mm-hmm. which is how, how attached you are to your caregivers. So you can have several different types of attachment. The best one is to be securely attached because if you believe someone's going to meet your needs when you express it, you are more likely to go out and, you know, go to school safely, feel comfortable leaving and coming back because you know you have a reliable, safe home base. Yeah. But if you are insecurely attached, and there's different styles of insecure attachment, uh, that creates a whole host of issues for later life as well, for your adult relationships with romantic partners, for friendships, for schools, and it creates anxiety 
that can be self-perpetuating. And that's really interesting to hear you say that because that is almost word for word what we see in uh, like attachment studies that they do. They call it the strange situation Hmm. where they would test. And it's different from culture to culture, I will say, just to pause, because certain attachment styles are more highly revered in different cultures. So everything in early childhood is very culture based. Um, But in this strange situation environments uh, and experiments, they found that children who were securely attached felt safer exploring the room full of toys. Mm. The insecurely attached infants stayed closer to their parent or caregiver Mm. uh, because they were afraid that that caregiver might leave or they might not receive the, you know, whatever the treat in air quotes is. Whatever their attention attention, thing, their security they're looking for. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, this is something that we experience. uh, We all do childcare weekly. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happens. You know, you have a kid who's, uncertain of the situation, they're not going to play. They're just going to sit there and be sad because yeah. the parent had to leave. Yeah. You know, you know. And basically the way you, you would basically have to interrupt that with the kid. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, if, if I'm working with a kid who is afraid their mom's not going to come back, I like to talk to them about like, what are you going to have for lunch later today? Like, are you and your mom going to go? And it like creates the, the fantasy for them of like, that's right. I will be with my parents mm-hmm. one day and we will be eating spaghetti or something like, <laughs> and then it helps them remember like, Yes, this that is utopian time. This will be true. Spaghetti. Yeah, my parent didn't disappear forever. Yeah, and not to say that those kids have some, you know, like their parents, attachment issues. No. Yeah, their no. parents have attachment but issues. That's a, but that's that issue of like I don't feel secure right now. Yeah, yeah, and therefore I cannot move beyond that. Yes, and and do all these other things that you know life has for me mm-hmm. in this moment. Yeah. yeah, and and as a caveat, there are there's something called temperament styles, which sure. is inborn personality traits and response patterns that pretty much does stay consistent over like 30 year periods and longer in these studies that have been done. And there are nine traits that put you into your temperament category. And one of them, a lot of it is like, are you slow to warm up? So there's a child style that is slow to warm up. They feel anxious when they are trying something new. That's very normal for many different people. I believe I am slow to warm up. And eventually when they get comfortable, they leap in. But there are children who are very flexible and leap right in. And there are children who they fall under the feisty category. And usually they are like, I hate this. I hate you for bringing me here. I will never like it here. (laughs) And I swear, if you do not take me home right now, I will lose my mind. And that that is not necessarily because they're insecurely attached. But a secure attachment can help that child feel safe when you drop them off at school or at swim lessons or creating routines like these scripts we've been talking about. These behavior routines like a goodbye routine is something we talk about at school. And if you give them, I will give you a hug. I will give you a high five. I'll kiss you on the forehead and then I'm leaving. (laughs) And then you do those things. You're creating a behavior pattern that Mm -hmm. says, we're, we do these three things and then I leave and you're safe at school. And if you leave confidently, the child learns to stop losing their mind when you drop them off at school. Sure. And I think the Internet with your likes and your you video games <laughs> and your behavior um, patterns is creating behavior responses. It's training us. It's all like a behavior specialist way mm. of like manipulating behavior not that they're intentionally doing it, although I would argue. I think in many, many instances, times yes, they are. They are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think the inter- oddly enough, I think the Internet teaches us to use these systems to try to take advantage of other people. Absolutely. And take yeah. advantage can mean a whole range of things like it can mean very, very minimally post things that I know will reliably get other people 
to engage, to, to engage with them. Yeah. I mean, at the most extreme, it can mean literally like having extremist groups trying mm-hmm. to catfish kids online mm-hmm. to try to recruit them or whatever. But I mean, there, there's a whole range of things. But we were talking about a lot of the negative things about Internet and and child development. The takeaway of this episode is <laughs> the internet's bad for adults. It's super bad for kids. That is slowly becoming the thesis of our entire yeah, no. show is the internet is bad. Well, but uh, based on what you just yeah. said too, is, is I think that the reality is all behavior, when you're seeing behavior that is not, doesn't seem to make sense or is very frustrating in children and adults yeah. is you need to consider the unmet need. Mm-hmm. So whatever, a child or a person is experiencing their behavior is trying to get a need met. And how does that change the way we look at what we're doing with the internet? Mm. What need is it meeting for us that we are so addicted to it and we are looking for it and it's blindly in our background. You're looking at Facebook. If you have a spare moment at work, you're looking at Twitter or on Instagram I don't TikTok because I'm too old, but some people do TikTok. Mm -hmm. So finding these ways to kind of interrupt that cycle, find out what the need is and meet it in real life for children and for adults, I think could really benefit a lot of people. The Internet is a tool and that's very powerful, but it can also be very dangerous. I mean, I think, you know, from a layperson's and sort of anecdotal perspective, I think the time when I was most online ever was when I was living in England alone mm-hmm. by yes. myself you know yes because you're trying to meet that sort of social need right yes. of like i'm lonely ah here's a way to you know yeah i guess yeah escape that yes extent, you have yeah. a need for connection and you're going to meet it through social media yeah absolutely okay so in, in the little narrative we've built we have our child one day <laughs> They're not allowed any any surpasses. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank not- you, Uncle Evan. <laughs> oh, you'd be a good Uncle Evan. I do love when you're mentioning like parents and uncles, and I was like, oh, very, all right, I'm in on this. <laughs> There's an episode for you, Evan. It's the only reason we're doing this episode. It's so that Evan can take our kid and we can go on vacation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Evan, no screen time. <laughs> so, but in in this in this world we're creating, we have a kid who no screen time at all. Under the age of two. Under the age of two, right. Uh, in the future, they will become an adult living in a world of internet and mm-hmm. screens and things like that. How does that transition happen where you suddenly start to introduce that? And what, yeah. I, in your opinion, how does that happen? Yeah, they. so after the age of two, I think for the following two years, they say 30 minutes of screen time a week, which again is horrifying compared <laughs> to what I'm sure two to four-year-olds are consuming in screen time. And that's it. That's phones, that's iPads, that's computers, and that's television. 30 minutes a week. Heck, that was like, I don't know. The thing I've been thinking about this entire time was like, man, we all grew up in a time where we were growing along with screens, computers, you know, all this kind of stuff. We had television. We had television. But there's a part of me that was like, hmm, we were definitely on the computer, even like in like 95. Yeah. On way more, way more than 30 minutes a day, yes. for sure. You yes. Know? Yeah, yeah. What they're finding now, Evan, that's interesting that you said that is it's not the amount of time necessarily mm. that you're online for for later childhood. So like middle childhood and not necessarily early childhood because that's birth to eight years old. But uh, yeah, I was going to say where the eight yeah, years old. So, yeah. so maybe around six to I would say 18, actually. 
Um, it's not about the amount of time necessarily. It is about what types of internet you are consuming. Uh-huh. So they have found that for the older children, it does not necessarily mean they're going to be less physically active. Although mm-hmm. children who are less physically active are going to be more likely to be engaged in the internet. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times children who are physically active, they're consuming media that has to do with physical activity. So it, reinforces their interest in sports or it reinforces um, like they might use it to do workout videos if they like workout videos. So being aware of the type of media your child is consuming is so important. And I will say working in middle childhood right now. What age is that? That is like eight to 12 or so. Um, The working in middle childhood, you will be deeply horrified at the way the internet is being used to create these children who have a lot of access to adult information, Mm -hmm. but none of the skills that people who had at their age, not none of the skills, but far fewer skills than the people who had when we were kids or even the generation before that for that same age period. So we're creating environments where kids have more access to information and less ability to digest it in a safe way for them emotionally. And case in point, I was telling David. (laughs) (laughs) Katie gestured David. Case in point. Case in point. Point is that David. No, no. Case in point. I was telling David when I was a kid, it was that you were not allowed to have a boy in your room. And I used kid up, up until 18 years old. You were not allowed to have a boy in your room. Well, with TikTok or uh, Snapchat or whatever, these kids, I hear it. I hear them talking about it with their peers. They have boys in their room all the time. Or you have access to highly sexualized information all the time in your room. If your phone's allowed in your room, if your computer's allowed in your room, Mm -hmm. you can have a person in your room at all times of day, whether you know them or you don't know them. And that's very scary. And that's where you can get into, I mean, like you just mentioned, like, like things like catfishing. Or trying to figure out, like, is this friend I made online predatory? Some, yeah, somebody who is predatory is. Um, I mean, I, is, I don't know if Omegle still exists, but I'm sure there must be what? alternatives. <laughs> Do you know what Omegle? It's like Omegle, yeah, or like, like or what? Omegle, Omegle, whatever, yeah. like chat roulette kind <laughs> yeah. of things, where it's like literally, it's just like video chat rooms. You just go around and like you have anybody mm-hmm. could suddenly be in a video chat with yeah. you. There's no. There's no barrier regulation, regulation yeah. to that. No you one's can't, monitoring that. Right. Yeah. And if whoever is, it's, it's not nearly up to the task of what you would need mm-hmm. to make sure that kids are not getting on there and, and, you know, interacting with any adult or whatever who's going to, you know, going to be predatory towards them. I mean, and that was that was like I remember back in like 2010 when I was in high school, like that was the reputation of those websites, which was they were exclusively predatory. Like, yes, it, it was a it was outside the norm. If you did meet somebody who was just like, oh, yeah, I just want to talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very sad, too, because, again, it has a great possibility to be used for good. Right. Like it's a tool like any other tool. It yeah. could be used to harm people and it could be used to help people. Yeah. Uh, a scalpel is a knife, which could be, you know, used to cut with precision and help to heal you in surgery. Or it could be used to kill you if somebody's attacking you. So it's very important that we handle these tools with great care and great awareness about how children are consuming media. They also there's a, a theory that is proven true many, many times over that more is more with 
media. So the more you consume, the more you will consume. Mm. So the children who use internet more are also more likely to use TV are also more likely to use radio are also more likely to read books. So there's this really mm-hmm. interesting correlation yeah. between how much media you consume and how it breeds more media consumption. Interesting. I mean, I feel like Evan and I were very well-read kids mm-hmm. who also learned. We were very learned, and we were very <laughs> online kids. Maybe I don't know. Well, now kids. you're not for me. You you much more so than I was. But, well, but you were online in video games stuff. Yes, though. you were way more video game than me. I was more online, basically doing this stuff. He was on <laughs> Zanga. I was playing Gary's mod. <laughs> <There we> go. <laughs> Yeah, but and watching movies and things like that. Yeah. I feel like media consumption was very big with us. Mm-hmm. But all it, and look how all great you two are, super great. We did all great. I'm great. <laughs> but we, I also think I have no idea if this applies. But like thinking about what you're saying with like attachment styles, I think we were, had very secure attachments mm-hmm. growing up. So like having an insecure attachment with the internet, having this this Skinner box thing, like you know, and this anxiety towards it. It's definitely there. Like I, I will impulsively pull out my phone and things and like Absolutely. check updates and whatever. But I feel like growing up, that was not as much of an issue or anything. I don't know. Do you think that the, the, the attachment styles you have in life affect your attachment with the Internet? Um, I do think or so. media? Because you, this is just my personal opinion. Yeah, I'm going off script with this. Yeah, yeah this I, question. I do think so because <laughs> I think if you are more securely attached to the people, if you have a secure attachment, which can affect your relationship with other things, you have less fears that something else is going to happen and you're going to miss it. Like there's less quote FOMO end quote about whatever is happening without you on the internet. Mm -hmm. So you're more likely to be able to leave it for long periods. I would say you're both great at leaving your phones alone when you're with people. Mm -hmm. And I don't see that with all other, I mean, not all other people. I don't see that with anyone else. The Um, other ones we got it. it. There we go. (laughs) Um, I don't see that all the time. So the other thing we're finding too, uh, as a society, is that people who have an undiagnosed uh, case of depression or anxiety or ADHD are using their phones or video games or the internet as a way to self-medicate and give themselves the dopamine hit that they're looking for. So people who are addicted to their phones are oftentimes people who are experiencing some kind of um, lack of a neurotransmitter in their brain. And Mm -hmm. this is Mm self-medicating. So people who can't put their phone away at dinner, people who can't, who seem to be isolating themselves from the people around them for their phone. That person is someone who could probably benefit from real life things like talk therapy or maybe um, some kind of treatment that a medical professional might advise depending on it or like an exercise routine to get their endorphins up. But because they're using their phones or Internet access to self-medicate, they don't do it. They don't do those things. So that's another way that the Internet can move us a little further away from health. It's meeting our needs, but moving us further from healthy, emotional experiences yeah yeah that is interesting and i also wonder if you know if you're able to you know self-medicate through the internet or something like that whether that can just make it more difficult to you know find find whatever uh, assistance you need in in the physical world because it's like well i'm i i have my medication yeah Yeah, i this this is doing it for me and it's cheaper and a lot, a lot of times yeah. than going to see a therapist or no. joining a gym, yeah. uh, you're already paying for the cost of internet because you probably have to for work. And that's another issue that we're finding too, is that there's a boundary 
blurring that's happening for adults, you're reachable all the time. Everyone can mm-hmm. email you and ask you to do something right before it's due. Yep. And if it was 50 years ago, they would just be out of luck. They would yeah. have to do the thing that they needed to do. They couldn't call and ask you. I guess they could call you, yeah. but they're less likely to call you because they can't zip you an email right away. We're very right. plugged in. We're very accessible. And that creates a lot of stress on family relationships, which also trickles down to children, whether it's the adult receiving that invasion or whether it's the child. And we are designed to receive these invasions all the time. It pops up on our social media feeds. It pops up on advertisements, on things that we watch. And it's all around us all the time. They do it at the gas pump. They do it in the stores. You're constantly consuming media that you don't think you're consuming. And I I think it's interesting how, you know, this conversation is about the effects of uh, of media and, and internet on young kids, but really it's a conversation about how this affects your development throughout life mm-hmm. and your ability to sort of create community, your ability to, you know, regulate your yourself, your mind, your body, and things like that. These things about early childhood or, or childhood in general are really conversations about like, like they're, they're much more holistic about, about the human uh, in its, in its entirety. Yes, which a lot of early childhood is. It's about the whole child. Yeah. That's like physical development, emotional development, intellectual development, language development. Yeah. And it's all about, and in physical, it all breaks down even to smaller categories. Like physical is fine motor and gross motor. And then you have for cognitive, it's like, okay, we have like math cognition, language cognition. We have all these different ways of, or executive function of breaking down development. And early childhood really is about the whole child. So yeah. how do we access this whole development to look at the internet? And I will say, I do want to add, yeah. because you mentioned the mindless scrolling, there is a part of your brain called the default network mm. that is, uh, I know, it's very surprising. Evan just made a face and I was very excited. <laughs> I, whispered, I whispered network to network. David. Network. Um, That's an internet thing. <laughs> Bing, internet. Um, one point for me. Uh, the, the default network of your brain is a series of connections that come online when you are not actively thinking about anything. Mm. So for me, washing dishes is really enjoyable because it's kind of mindless or like playing Mm. Sudoku helps me to have that mindless time. Uh, David plays Zelda for that mindless, like creation of ideas. And these kinds of things help you to let the default network of your brain come online. It solves problems for you. This also comes online while you sleep, but mm. making sure your brain has time to like recharge itself and come up with new ideas and creatively solve problems. That's when you're making connections. You can't make when you're actively considering a problem. It's like shower thoughts. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So Evan, tell us what brings your default network online. I bet you could think of it. What's the mindless thing you like to do that brings up ideas and creatively helps you solve problems. Uh, honestly, being at the gym or something like that. Yeah. Because it's just like, the only thing I can think about is literally, what number of, of sets yeah. am I on for this? Five, yeah. six. You guys just kind of be counting the entire time. Yeah. I think Pinterest. Yeah. Pinterest is also, yeah, my scrolling through Pinterest where yeah. I'm just grabbing... Oh, you point at Katie. I was both but of you I'm too. pointing yeah. at Evan. Both, no, I'm pointing, pointing at Katie. And I'm pointing uh, at I was saying Katie also. Nobody's both pointing of you are at David. Nobody would. On all this show, I don't think anyone would have ever pegged that Evan was a Pinterest guy. Oh, yeah. he's a Pinterest guy. Oh, I pinned it. <laughs> I'm pinning it left and right. <laughs> but it's like, it's a time for your brain to rest and recharge and come up with new ideas. Yeah. And I bet you leave the gym feeling like you have new ideas. You're a very creative person. 
So you probably leave having new ideas for stories you're writing or games you're designing or characters you're drawing. So I bet that that helps you solve problems for your all the dissertation experience in your life. Of like, yes, I spend that time thinking about my work. <laughs> no, but sometimes you might have a fun idea of how to approach a problem yeah. at work. Yeah. And that's important too. And I think that that's another thing that social media is doing for us, that endless scroll is decompression time yeah. that we have just been trained to be also slightly addicted to. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, having like being online, being a sort of default mode for us, I think at times though, it can, it can crowd out those thoughts also for me, at least where it's like, I should really be doing something. I feel I enjoy I should be doing a thing yes. that I know I want to be doing. And it's, it's like, no, you're just kind of in the, in the, this world. For a little bit longer. Down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And it can kind Mesmerized. of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're just, you're in it, you know? And another thing for kids is this idea that, you know, when we were kids, uh, you know, watching TV or whatever, or even on the internet, there was a very clear delineation between what was content for you to watch and enjoy and what is clearly just straight up an ad. Like this is the part of the programming where you have to like put your defenses up a little bit mm -hmm. yeah. and online that line doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. You can have people on, or you can have what, what are ostensibly news articles, which are really just paid promotional content by some company. You can have uh, uh, an influencer on TikTok or something mm -hmm. who is really just trying to like hawk some merchandise or brand that they get a cut out of, but it's just like, Hey, I'm just here talking about, look at this new clothes I bought or whatever, you know, yada, yada. You could go on Pinterest and see a pin for something you really like and go to pin it. And it's actually an advertisement. Yeah. It takes you to a website. Yeah, it's no good. It's no good. It's no good. But as a kid, I think that navigating that must be a lot more difficult to learn. How can you spot? And even for adults, and part of the point of this show even is trying to help people navigate that yeah. world where it's mm -hmm. like, actually, this thing that's out there. Here's what's like kind of really going on with it. It may not be as obvious as at first glance, but yeah. let's break that down for you. As a kid, that must be even more difficult to navigate and figure out Absolutely. what can I trust out here. And yeah. they children of a certain age, when they're really, really young, they have a they have a problem differentiating between fantasy and reality. And that's actually a developmental milestone that we assess them for is yeah. if they can differentiate between dreams or stories in storybooks and what is actually possible. So uh -huh. if they are not able to do that yet, definitely too young to be consuming media because yeah. that's very, it can, it can be very damaging. Um, they have also found that children, a lot of parents think, well, this is educational, so it's fine to sit my kid down in front of whatever the show is. And I will say I have a lot of educational shows that I like to watch as the adult mm. that are fun for me, too. Yeah. But if you are not sitting with your child, there is clear evidence that the child cannot digest the, quote, moral, end quote, of the story. They don't understand the lesson that they're yeah. supposed to learn unless you have a conversation about it because we learn through community. I was going to say, and, and Katie, just I wanted to mention that because Katie is not saying that your kids shouldn't watch movies or something like that. Right. The point is, is that you need to be present you should. with them. Yeah, you need to be watching it with them. The point is you need to be consuming the children's <laughs> media. We can all learn a little bit more. Yeah. But yes, absolutely. And you can't discuss the things that come up if you don't know what's coming up. And yeah. to be clear, I before I was an early childhood educator, I was a nanny for a long time. 
And I worked inside a home with a child or several children in some cases, but I did it for almost a decade. And the children were allowed to watch. In one family, they could watch one show a day with me there. And in one family, they could watch, I set this rule, one show a week with Mm -hmm. me there. And I was there for 50 hours a week. So it's very possible. And a lot of weeks, we didn't even use that time because we were busy playing. But I realized that parents and caregivers will need time to do things where it's easier just to have your child engaged in a show. And that is true. And I would also suggest if there's a way you can be in an adjacent room listening, like sometimes I would prepare dinner for the child, usually after swim lessons, uh, she would watch her show. She'd take a shower, watch her show, and I would be making her dinner Mm -hmm. so that she could eat right after she had swim lessons. And I was in the kitchen, which is the room right beside it. And I could hear everything and we would talk about it while she ate. And so creating this environment where you're, you are also consuming the media. So you know how to discuss it with your children. And it's like we said about middle childhood, they have all this access to very adult information and no ways or limited ways to digest it in ways that are safe for them. So creating an opportunity for you to help them understand. And sometimes it happens by accident that child once turned on the TV in the morning because she was allowed to watch a show with her parents in the morning. She turned on the TV. Her parents had been watching the news Mm -hmm. and she turned it on to change the channel and a news story about a kindergartner being shot had come on. And she told me later that day, she was like, Katie, I watched something sad this morning on accident. I was trying to turn on the TV and something came up and the kid got shot by a police officer. And she was like, Katie, why would they do that? And I said, I I really don't know. I did hear that story and I didn't listen to it all because it made me sad. And so I don't like to listen to things that make me feel very sad. Mm. And so teaching that healthy consumption, but it's yeah. also sometimes they're consuming it on accident. So being very mindful as the parent about where what web page is left open on the family computer, um, what channel you leave the TV on, even if you watch the news, hooray for you, great. <laughs> change, change the channel to a children's television network by the time you're turning off the TV so yeah. that if the kids turn on the TV, They're not being exposed to potential violence or harm on accident because you love your kids. You don't want them to get harmed by media. Mm -hmm. So being very slightly proactive can save a lot of harm that could happen to a child. So it kind of sounds like what we're talking about is that like any kind of media really is a tool that you can use with your children to, I guess, buy you some time to do some chores or get something stuff done, but you shouldn't be abusing that, right? Right. I don't know. This is like, like this kind of media has been around for a very long time. I don't know. Kids have been listening to the radio for a long time, mm-hmm. watching television and movies. But what is different about the internet? What about, in, you know, scrolling on the internet particularly is injurious. Injurious? Injurious. 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 We agree. Wait, give us a little click. Do, do, do. Injurious. Do, do, do. Injurious. I don't know. Someone, <laughs> someone please define it. Uh, um, you're saying detrimental. Detrimental yeah. to, yeah, to their development. Yes. Well, I think a lot of it can really struggle with children being able to grapple with the reality and that yeah. uh, when they're very little, they have they're called egocentric, which means like they cannot consider somebody else's point of view. So they believe that if I kick my brother, then 
of course, mom and dad would understand why I kicked my brother. So I don't have to lie to them. They actually do not know how to lie when they're young. So you'll be like, did you kick Evan, David? And he'll be like, yes. <laughs> and you're like, great. Thanks for your honesty. And that's because they haven't developed the idea that your perspective might be different than my perspective. You might not like that if you, I do. Like yeah, it. right. You do not. When you got, got by the cops and asked you to kick your brother, you do not cop to it. You say yes for your lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a very um, interesting look at child brains. And they, they are very structurally different than adult brains as well. They're developing in a different way. Um, they fire differently. And so for a long time, people thought, well, kids are just like tiny adults, but actually they think and they reason differently. And we could get into a whole different podcast about all of that, about the stages of thinking for children. And you have that podcast available. I'm sure I do. I mean, we'll talk, I, we'll talk about it when we're done. Yeah. We can talk about Piaget's stages of thought later. There we go. Um, but the interesting thing that they have found, too, is that it is important that we do consume media because that's one of the ways that we stay connected. It's a tool in our world. And one of the things that have been found is children who engage in the media for entertainment use only are less likely to develop pro-social skills. And pro-social skills is literally everything we want them to learn in early childhood. That is the number one most important outcome you can leave preschool with. The um, pros at social. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's like democratic life skills. How do you um, interact around conflict? How do you share? How do you take turns? How do you self-advocate? How do you set boundaries? How do you think about the feelings of others to be engaged in an empathetic mindset to yeah. consider the feelings of other people? Social and intelligence in general. Absolutely. Yeah. Part of it might be that they are consuming less time with their siblings. They have less, not consumption, but they're using less time talking with their siblings and fighting over that toy. So they have less practice. And part of it might be that they are seeing so many violent acts on television, in sure. video games, whether it's truly depicted or partially truly depicted or implied violence in a TV show. You take away the reality of the experience for the child. If mm. I pinch you, Evan, which I won't do everybody because I love Evan. Ow, I, I would have I'll do it. I, so it really happened. I'm not pinching him. But if I did pinch him, I would see Evan experiencing pain and my mirror neurons in my brain would go off and I would also be experiencing that pain as if I'm experiencing it. I'd be like, oh, no, that really hurt. I don't like that. That's the phenomenon of like a kid will push on our kid and both kids will start crying. Yes, Because <laughs> it's like, oh. Yes, because you see the pain and your, your yeah. body says that was terrible. I had no idea that was terrible. But yeah. that's how they're learning. And when you're seeing it on screen. It's not as effective. So it's like mm. the idea of like when you spend cash money versus plastic money, it lights up a different center of your brain. Yeah. Um, if you see somebody in real life, you you relate to them more than if you see them on a screen. Yeah. So there's like a difference of perception. Mm -hmm. So there's it's, I think it's very fascinating. I don't fully understand that part, I will say, but I am very yeah. curious about the implications. Of I wonder it. if our brains are just kind of keyed into the fact that like what is on your screen literally isn't a person. Yeah, we're like detached from it. In yeah, a way. it's yeah. just like yeah. a benefit and in the 21st century, unfortunately, in some ways, a drawback of yeah. our biology mm -hmm. and things is just like we're very good at interacting with people and that is not technically a person. And therefore, there's going to be weird little like quirks about like how our brains deal with that. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And there's another thing, too, about children who are using who are using the Internet to engage in online gaming 
Hmm. One student who I work with, his mother has died, but he's on online chat rooms about games where people are insulting his dead mother, which Hmm. is something that David had said, because I was very upset when I heard it. David was like, that's actually a very common thing people say on the internet, regardless of if your mom is alive or dead. But yeah. it was it was a big issue in the, yeah. like the teachers wanted to talk to him. Like, do you know these people? He was like, yeah. no, I don't. And so that was a very scary mm-hmm. thing too, because that's very emotionally damaging for a child who's not yet processed fully the grief of losing their mother. Mm. Here they are exposed to a lot of desensitized people who are not aware they're talking to a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old or a 7-year-old or whatever. That's like kind of the issue of like, whatever, the other day I, I said something a little mean to a public official on the internet. And, it's, <laughs> <laughs> and, and like the Twitter gave me a message of like, people generally don't like to say this on Twitter. Aww. And there's like this aspect of like, on the internet, you have a, this disconnect between sender and recipient where... You're not really engaging with, yeah, again, like, I'm not actually pushing a physical person, so I won't cry when they fall. Yeah. And this aspect of... watch their face fall. Or watch their face when they're sad that I push them. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this aspect of, like, one, you have that sort of distance where you are feel at license to be able to do more Mm -hmm. mean stuff to people. Absolutely. But on the other hand, there's also the aspect of this anonymity where... When you're on the internet, it's just a bunch of people there. And you you also even know if you're punching down kind of a mm-hmm. like, hey, here's a 12 year old kid. Let's beat up on this kid about his dead mom. Yes. Like, I don't, and like, you know, that's cruel in an out different way where it's like if you saw a bunch of adults beating up a kid, of course, you'd be like, this is cruel and awful. Why was why are we letting this happen? Yeah. Let's go intervene. Yeah. As opposed to on the internet where it's know. you're separated from it. You don't know who everybody is, mm-hmm. so it's like, oh, I don't know if that's yeah. actually as bad as it is or something like that. You don't easy. react to it. Right. It's very easy to imagine whoever I'm talking to or insulting or whatever is the worst person I can imagine. They probably deserve <laughs> it. The yes. Alfred Hitchcock effect. You can make your own worst nemesis in your brain than instead of being shown who it's it like is. It's like you never it. show the monster yeah. because whatever the audience imagines it's is better worse. than anything yes. I could come yeah. up with. Yeah. Well, and mm-hmm. interestingly, Evan, is you bring up basically cause and effect. And that mm-hmm. is also something we assess children for to see if they're developing it. That's part of their whole job is to understand cause and effect relationships. And you're taking the uh, effect away. So they're not learning that that was unkind. That made Susan cry or that upset Jake that I said that about his mom. That's too far. And then you don't get a chance to apologize in the same way. So you're taking away this social learning aspect, which can be really detrimental to like learning outcomes for children and for social relationships. Mm. It's interesting to think of just how all that stuff affects us as adults. I, I think it'd be easy to say like, well, for adults, whatever, like they're, they're adults. They can navigate this stuff. They'll figure it out. They're responsible, whatever, you know, they, when it's like, really, it's like so many of these things, it's like, you need a lot of support and the internet is going to be, I, I say the internet, people who are utilizing the internet yeah. very often, uh, large corporations or uh, governments, politicians, mm-hmm. people with even, a lot of cloud, even just people who are influence. very famous or influential, yeah. whatever are going to be using the systems that are provided to them with the internet. I I keep coming back to this, just kind of predatory ways. And it's like Mm -hmm. something that everybody has to be on the lookout for, not just children. It's like, I know that you want my outrage. Like outrage will generate engagement. So I would rather be like, like have you be a terrible person if it means that you are engaging with, you know, using my social media site or, you know, or, or giving me likes, whatever. It feeds off of developing people into a worse version of themselves so often. 
And again, in early childhood, if you do not give positive attention and positive power, Mm -hmm. you will take negative attention and negative power any day. And power and attention are two basic needs that we have as humans. As humans, we want to feel like people care about us and pay attention to us or just pay attention to us if they don't care about us. And we want to feel like we have a sense of agency or power over our own lives. And we will take it in a negative form if we can't get it in a positive form. Mm -hmm. And I think the challenge of the internet is to create a sense of accountability for humans that we don't necessarily have yet. And I think we see it more developing as it seems like social media has become more aware about how what they allow affects the experience of the user or even very real outcomes like what we saw on January 6th. Yeah, is that right. yeah. allowing a certain kind of discourse, while it's important, can be very dangerous too. And so how do we protect people and also allow and, and respect freedoms that we are granted in this nation? It's a very difficult burden to have mm-hmm. as this face of new technology and advancement. Well, I think that... That's probably a good that place. uplifting note. Hi, <laughs> hey, hey, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> we have our we save the uplifting note for after the the jump. After, after brothers, the internet haters, <laughs> <laughs> internet haters. <laughs> I'm in love with this whole conversation, oh. and also with my wife, Katie. Because he's a life guy, y'all. Oh, I've got. I am platonically <laughs> in love with this conversation. Because <laughs> he's a sister-in-law guy. That's right. You heard it here first. That's right. Evan um, Anderson, sister-in-law guy. <laughs> New guy He's just formed. dropped. <laughs> New guy just dropped. <laughs> uh, Katie, um, if people want to find you or hear more about what you have to say, what's a great place for them to reach you? Yes, um, on social media, oh. on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We are at C Childcare LLC. So it's at C Childcare LLC. We do almost daily videos for helping you to balance your life as a caregiver and help to improve interactions between you and the children in your life. Yeah. And C Childcare stands for Compassionate Childcare. Yes. Great. Mostly because we were trying to have uniform handles across all the channels, yeah. but Twitter <laughs> will only allow a certain number of characters. So that's how they get shot. At C Childcare LLC. All right. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Anderson Bros. And then usually we go into a musical bit. <laughs> Let's go for it. <laughs> Keep going, Evan. <laughs> he jumps around like 30 seconds. <laughs> I guarantee it's not 30 seconds. It feels like it's been two minutes, but I guarantee you it is not 30 Just seconds. 10 seconds of musical jump. <laughs> well, folks, we're Just back. And Carbos. Hello, folks. We're going to now have 10 minutes of musical accompaniment by the brothers. <laughs> tri- tri- triplet? What's, what's Three duplet? Triplet? Triplet. The, the triplet brothers. The trio. No, it's trio. trio. Are you thinking of a, a trio? musical trio. That's <laughs> what we do. I used to be in choir. We did Quartet. trio. There we go. Duet triplet. Yeah, I, triplet. and I calls. <laughs> not triplet. It's trio. Trio. It's a musical okay. trio. Okay. And you then the quartet trio. for some weird reason. I swear we know about a lot of other things. <laughs> I I was in the ensemble solo and ensemble competition in high school, and I competed as a trio. 
So I call second soprano. One of you is going to have to be soprano. Let me get some uh, gabagool. There we go. I can be soprano. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where is this going? Almost. Oh, I got there. I liked it. Katie knows about a lot of stuff. You are a musician. You're an actress. Oh, you are a child expert. Formerly actress. Current childcare expert. I accept. How'd you like being on the podcast? I loved it. Oh. I'm for it. I think you should be on it, everybody. Make sure that you submit <laughs> and fill out forms. <laughs> Evan doesn't want you, but I want you too. No, I'm just sign up. Doesn't <laughs> want you, <laughs> listeners. I regret to inform you all <laughs> <laughs> that this is our. We're getting close to the end of the podcast yeah. for the. We're, we're going to be on an indefinite so hiatus. So submit uh, your applications now. Submit, yeah, that's right. There you go. <laughs> Don't I, I will bother. toss them in the garbage. The bro ship is full. The bro ship. Bro ship. <laughs> I don't like bro ship. Bro ship. Bro ship to me sounds like some people on Tumblr got really into like a particular anime and they really wish the brothers were dating each other. <laughs> bro ship. <laughs> that's just something that the uh, middle schoolers will say. They're like, I ship them. I ship those two. I mean, when I was first on Tumblr, yeah, shipping was everywhere. That was one of the most defining features of being a fan of a show is which characters did you want to be romantically involved with each other. And I think hands down, it's the bros. It was always the bros. Everybody so or, about the bros. Or the same green man with himself. <laughs> the one slur. The one slur. The one slur. I mean, interestingly enough, I mean, lots of times, it, I mean, the shifts would be weird because most of the people doing this were like teenagers and didn't necessarily they're not fully teens, developed. Teens full on id was exposed. <laughs> full on id. Their, their consequence portion of their brain isn't developed till they're 25. Yep. And, and lots of what is what are the ramifications, the cosmic <laughs> ramifications of one slurs? Well, the also for a lot of these communities, they're trying to use these internet communities to find community they don't have in real life. Yeah. It was not unusual to have people like really desperately looking for like, I want to find like gay representation or something and being like, well, this show that I like doesn't have that, but maybe I could pretend it does. And which would kind of result in like really weird like fantasies fiction. and fan yeah. fictions and things yeah. like that. Yeah. I also assume part of that comes from banishing their own identity to the sideline that it becomes easier to imagine that they have banished the characters have also banished that. So projecting your own reality onto that. Oh, I see. So and it's not it's not explicit because in my life it's not explicit or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and there's a study in McLean County, which was where I went to college at Bloomington Normal, Illinois, at Illinois State University. One of the classes I took, they said that there were more men who identify as straight and are married that have intercourse with other men on a weekly basis than there are men who identify as gay in the county. And the basis of that is that you cannot identify with something that's not a part of your culture group. You can't identify with a label that's not part of your upbringing. Yeah. And it's so, literally a, a terminology and identity that is not on your radar. Absolutely. Yeah. And so yeah. people were studying this and saying, okay, what's happening here that these men are... No. Engaging in intercourse weekly with other men, but they do not think or feel like they are gay. They identify as straight. No. And it's that kind of phenomenon they suspect, or at least they did in 2010 when I took that class yeah. that yeah. was about right. culture. I mean, it's like this issue of like regional particularity and like ideas about like, how do you apply? Mm -hmm. We all think we have a common language, but terminology is different. How you use it in certain places. Absolutely. Doing my research for, you know, 
my uh, PhD, constantly coming across the idea of and the fallacy that a lot of, you know, linguists and ancient historians who are just kind of using language as a crutch will be like, oh, the same word came up. It must mean the same thing in this context. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I can perform my analysis that mm-hmm. way. In reality, it's like, no, you have to do the groundwork of actually making sure that word is being deployed in the right way in that case. Mm-hmm. Like, is is the word just being used here actually describe the phenomenon you think it does? Like, think of the use of the word injurious just earlier. Injurious. <laughs> injurious means I think you completely different people. No, no. <laughs> Folks, <laughs> Folks, when we post this episode, there will be a poll underneath where you can submit your definitions of injurious. I think, <laughs> I think that you used it correct. I was just joking because you were not sure when you used it. About oh, I said that. I was like, would it be if it's not even a real word? Yes. Well, I, it's funny talking about like the ways that language can like dictate your your thinking, not to be a 1984 guy, but that's <laughs> yeah. the whole thought, the, the whole premise with uh, the Newspeak in 1984 is if right. we can reconstruct language in such a way that we kind of like leave out certain ideas, we don't give them words. A voice. Then, yeah, then it will actually prevent people from even thinking that way. Uh-huh, absolutely. And, and I will say, I mean, we've been, we've, been, we've gone pretty hard on the internet to, this episode, <laughs> But and rightly so. <laughs> I think I think that's something that the internet does a really it's good a job of is it, it can provide language and vocabulary for a lot of experiences that people may not otherwise have mm-hmm. if they're not if if they were not exposed to them. Yes, I think it does a lot of good in the world. I I would compare it to I already said a tool, and in a way, I think the like a gun is like it sure. can do a lot of good. It can protect you. It can. Um, provide for you yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. it can um, give you feelings of safety and security it can also harm you it can also harm people that you love Mm -hmm. and it should be used with great care and regulation and you should you should monitor your use of it as well as being aware of how the people that you love are also using it Mm -hmm. to to ensure the safety of everyone and when you think about gun safety with children, you don't just let them play with the gun without you there. You're also monitoring, you've yeah. removed parts of it that might harm the child. You have a very serious talk with them about how to properly use it yeah. and safely use it and to protect themselves. You you have like the talk is like you would with sex right, right. or like yeah. you would with um, anything that can be Positive with and the negative. internet. Yes. You have to talk about the internet. Absolutely. Right now. Yeah. And I think that that's important because you need to give them the tools to use it safely. Otherwise, it could it could do a lot of damage. This is different what I had imagined when you said, you don't let the kids play with it without you being there. I was imagining a dad going in and being like, kids, if you're going to play with it, let me play too. <laughs> <laughs> At least let me be in the adjoining room. I'm just going to I'm just going to jump in here because I know everybody's on the edge of their seat. <laughs> oh, injurious. injurious means causing or likely to cause damage or harm. Hey. Yeah, that's the, right. The example Google gives. High temperature is injurious to mangoes. Oh, so dang. Go. Oh, dang. I didn't know that about mangoes. Well, I got to tell you, I think that was a great note. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Katie. I love you so much. Thank hey. you, Anderson Browse. Oh, Thank um, you. Oh, we're so glad to count Katie among the brothers. Thank you. <laughs> we're going to add you to our, our art for the <laughs> for the uh, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Slap it. Put me on the screen. Put just my image on the screen for that one episode. <laughs> Put like a pixelated, wrong resolution, like photo of Katie, like in the corner <laughs> with, yeah. a, with a computer screen over her face. <laughs> yeah. Really badly MS Paint. Yeah. yeah. Just consume wisely. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think that's that's the good takeaway, and honestly, yeah. a good takeaway for the entire uh, the entire podcast. I think that's we call it a series wrap. So that's it. Yeah, yeah that's two wise of the podcast. Series wrap. No, no, we still have more episodes coming. Um, I have been one of your hosts, David Ryan Anderson. I've been the other host on the other side of the mic, Evan Axel Anderson. And I'm Katie Anderson, here for the party. <laughs> All right, go out and explore or whatever. Well, I don't know. I, forget. I always forget how we go end our episodes. Explore or whatever. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Hey everyone, it's David. The episode is over, but as always, it's time for credits. This episode, we heard Kazoo Zoo by Offer Corin and Siberian Summer by Sunny Fruit, which we're listening to right now. And as always, I'd like to say thanks to Something Unreal for his Windows XP remix that we hear at the top of every episode. We had a lot of fun recording with my wife Katie and just hanging out, so thanks for hanging out with us. Bye.